Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here at Millstone Pizza in Old Town Rock Hill. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Trevay. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. No, okay. Chris and I are going to talk about his dreams. <laughs> it actually is very disturbing dreams. No, Chris and I have no, no guests today except, of course, Micah, as always, holding the microphone. Way to go, Micah. Woot, woot. Right. Good job, dude. You're awesome. Um, not dreams. I meant to say blog. Chris wrote a blog today, and he, um, he got his mind turning. He basically didn't get any work done for the rest of the day because all he could think about was this blog. So he's just dying to tell us about what, he's, what he wrote about. So I'm going to turn it over to him. Boy, I've been thinking about this all day. <laughs> um, my blog post was inspired by a TED Talk, shockingly, uh, by J.J. Abrams, um, where he talked about the concept of the mystery J. J. box. J.J. Abrams from Good Times? Exactly. J.J. Abrams from Dynamite. <laughs> yeah, that J.J. Abrams? Yeah, he talked about how in the mystery box there's Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a director. He is a director, yes, and a writer, producer, all kinds of stuff, and um, who is directing the new Star Wars movies. Um, and uh, but anyways, he talked. His whole TED talks was uh, centered around the idea of the mystery box, and um, he literally had like a mystery box. His grandfather bought him at a magic store when he was a kid that he's never opened uh, to this wow. day. It's still taped up. He bought it like whatever in the '60s, and he still he still has this magic box. He talked about it's like the leading principle in the in the stories that he tells and the movies he he makes, and it's sort of just based on the idea that if you if people know there's something there, and they don't know what it is then it's fascinating and it's interesting and there's just part of our our the way that our brains work that we we have to know what is what we don't know and and if you give us just the right amount of information it's you know we are not going to let it go until we know what's there and it's what it what pushes us into most things that we do in, in reality um well, and Pandora's box is one of the oldest stories in, in the world right yeah. yeah and just the idea that you're always pushed to discover that thing and what it comes down to is part of being human is always projecting what the future might hold and trying to, because that's just comforting. It's just part of our psyche for most people. Uh, you know, you want to know what's coming and you want to know how it's going to get to you. Um, a recurring theme on Old Town New World. Well, yet though you want to know, it's, it's the, the tension between wanting to know and then the mystery of not knowing that really creates the enthusiasm and excitement. Exactly, yeah. Like I, I said that in the blog that, uh, this wasn't necessarily something he talked about, but I, I personally have noticed that in movies and, and, and in life, um, the game of speculating and wondering what's going to happen is sometimes more fun than the thing that gets there. It's also usually the, the flip side of that is the anxiety of anticipating negative things is yeah. sometimes, is, well, almost always way worse than whatever happens, you know? Well, I would, and I would say that, the, the, that really the creating of anything big or anything made of, but any, especially big visionary things, is actually just an, a less passive or more active version of that same phenomenon because you're, it's the fascination of what could potentially happen right, right. and all the kind of gaps in the puzzle. Right that keep keep you working towards kind of finding out what they are though that working is actually the creative process exactly exactly yeah and you know and the thing is what he's talking about more often than not it's like a literal like 
especially with J.J. Abrams, it's a literal box. Like he'll have characters in a in, in a story that just find a briefcase or a container. Well, I know he didn't do Pulp Fiction, but that's like the Pulp exactly, Fiction yeah. box. What's in the box? Yeah. yeah, and that adds and that just adds this great tension to the whole movie that you may not even always be conscious of, but it's it's that thing. What is that? What's in the, what's in the, the right. box? You know, seven. What's in the box? Right. Um, but the thing is, is like. Now that's a literal. What is this thing? And that's like Hitchcock. Like, what's the mystery? You know, who done it or whatever. But the thing is, is that that principle is part of everything. And in movies, it's it's even when, when you watch a movie, you read a book, you read that first paragraph of a book. A contract has been made with you. Something. This book is worth your time because eventually you're gonna find something that makes you very entertained or makes you very happy. You think is really interesting. And that's it's it's the beginning of anything good, any and any good piece of entertainment. It, there's a contract, there's a there's a, a, a guarantee. There's a, there's here's a reason I'm giving you this. Are you interested? Yeah. And um, but it's also I mean it's life, you know. It's 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 the whole principle of, of everything. And what my actual blog was about was the connection between that and basically the addictive quality of social media, which whatever the addictive quality of social media is, is basically the quality of social right, media. Yeah, right. Because the reason, whatever we get compulsively addicted to using it, um, it, that's, it, because we're so into what makes that thing tick, we have to have it, you know, and it becomes a negative thing sometimes. But even with, with like email, the whole, the whole idea, what I'm saying about the mystery box connected to social media, which in this definition would include email, which I realize isn't technically social media. But I know personally, every time I go check my email, every time I open my phone and look at it, I want to see those little red circles with numbers in them, yeah. and I click on them, and I want to see something awesome. You know what I mean? And, and does that mean I want to see that someone... Instead, you get something from me. Exactly. <laughs> I get some, some junk. Some from, crap from Some you. crap from Jason. It's like, here's a picture of my socks. They're new. They're real nice. They're warm. But they are nice. They are nice. Yeah, and right. then what do I do? I like the picture of your socks. <laughs> you go you go get satisfaction that I liked yeah. your socks. Which, I mean, that idea of, like, gratification, yeah. you know, that is sort of the thing that... There's a million reasons that social media and all that is, is what everyone is into now and what sort of leads the whole world at this point. But it's basically about gratification. That's why the individual businesses and corporations like social media for completely different reasons but the individual power social media because of gratification well and i would say that businesses <clears throat> won't they like social media because they want to get into the conversations that people are having and you know the, the internet has become ubiquitous to most of the population of the united states and so it if if that's where people are having all kinds of conversations it's just like right now um <clears throat> You know, since we have millions of listeners, um, <laughs> see, do you hear them? Um, thumb, hold up, hold up, excuse me for a second. Thumbs down. All right, they're ripping him I apart. Guess. Let me continue. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Good Morning America or whatever. They're yeah. gathered outside Millstone, like holding up signs. Yeah. Uh, Roker's out there, of course. <laughs> but anyway, um, because, um, I mean, you know, a business would love to be in the casual conversation of this conversation, not because, you know, like I claim we have millions of listeners, not uh, sponsorship and product placement, but just to be part of the, of the vernacular of kind of regular conversation means that you are part of the kind of, you know, uh, you know, just kind of like the way we call a tissue Kleenex. You're just, you're just ingrained in our right, language. Right, right. And, our, and I think the internet's so ubiquitous that social media, while different brands pop up, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, they might symbolize a certain way 
of kind of putting this addictive thing forward. Right. It's really just, it's become so ingrained in our behavior to communicate right. through the internet. Right. So I think email's right in there with it. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, as far as the idea of like in the social media in the context of a business, I mean, it's really an extension of whatever kind of business you have. Like if you're a business that's led by, well, you know, whatever the hell it takes to get, you know, profitable, then, then yeah, it's one thing. But if you're the kind of business that's out to help people and improve the lives well, of others. It's about authenticity. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's going to be an extension of if that's what motivates you on any front as a business to to improve people's lives, that's going to, that's what motivates you on social media. Well, you know, I used to say that um, one of the great things about social media was that it could see through inauthenticity. Right. Yeah, um, and I think that's, I think that's still, I think that's true to a certain extent. But I have been disappointed, personally, to see how people can still uh, kind of shove inauthenticity down people's throats, even in the realm of, of social media. Right, yeah. And more often than not, it's because of a voice or aesthetic that becomes established that is that is sincerity, that is authenticity, that people respond to, yeah. and then everyone replicates it, you know? Exactly. And, and, it's, and it's just like, in, you know, it always goes back to movies, it's just like in Hollywood, how you have a hit film, and then everyone keeps replicating it. And, right. does it, and the thing is, is they, they don't make any money. It's right. so silly, and they never learn that lesson. It's been happening since movies have existed. You have a hit, and then... Well, quote unquote, the what a great idea. So let's do an idea that looks like that, and then it always falls yeah. on its face, you know, because yeah. it isn't about it isn't about that that natural that sort of like the details of that concept, and it isn't about well, well, this kind of ad campaign worked, so let's replicate that. You can't. It's replicate the same it, thing, man. That's funny. That's a great parallel because when people try to replicate a story by um, replicating all the mechanics, because that story worked, that movie worked. But they don't have an authentic story. There's no heart and passion. Same thing's true in the work we do at like the Revenue Club, for example. When we look at doing social media marketing for a company, if we just replicate, like, okay, well, you can run a contest and you can do a, you know, and we just do the mechanics, it, it, it's soulless. So what we do instead is say, how can we really tell the story of these individual people who are working hard to serve their clients in different ways? I mean, that's when it's successful. Right, and and ultimately. The reason that you, or well, the the eventuality of putting those stories out there is a gratification for someone because if you if you can do something interesting and compelling for whoever on social media, the person the person that follows them on Facebook, on Twitter, or whatever, when they engage Twitter, that's the gratification they're looking for. Even if it is, and it's awesome if what that thing is is something that's happening within a business or whatever. But the reason you check social media, like I said, the same reason you read a book, you know, you want gratification. And that now that's from that's that gratification from others and their content, whatever, their contribution, you know, which is sort of a separate story in terms of the interactive gratification. Um, I'll take another one. I'll take a bell ring or RJ Rocker's bell ring, yeah. So putting forward a, a, a box, I mean, a mystery right, box. Right, yeah, yeah, a mystery box. Every yeah. Time, yeah. Every time, you know, and it, and I do tend to get very, 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 I tend to split hairs philosophically, but technically every time you open your eyes in the morning, you know, here comes a new mystery box. That, that by sheer act of existing, everything is, you don't, you know. And that's what I was saying about the process of creating. I mean, you know, we can get really philosophical to say that you're, you're creating just by seeing and breathing. I mean, right. you're constantly creating the reality around you. I mean, William Wordsworth said, uh, you know, you have to create the world. I mean, it's, 
a part of and physics tells us that we create this table, you know. Right. But but to be more pragmatic, um, when we work to create things, I mean, you know, like to bring it down to specific examples, you know, we work every day to make Revenflow a, a, a successful business in a very a sincere and authentic way. We work every day to uh, help revitalize the downtown of Rock Hill, um, and in doing that. It is that constant tension that you're talking about. It's that kind of, where are the gaps? The gaps and what we can't see are those mystery boxes right, right, that we right. have to, it's a process of creating. It's like opening the box to see what's right. in there, you know? Right, and, and then it's, in that sort of, like in that context, it's, it's like nothing safe ever yielded anything interesting or great, right. you know? And, that's, and it's a gamble, like investing in a place like Rock Hill or anywhere. Is, is investing in anything anytime is a gamble because right, and, and, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how people are going to react on any level. If you open a new business, Amelie's, you know, it was awesome. It was huge. It was great for them, you know. Opening a new business is a gamble, and, and but it's it's that great gamble that leads to great progress, you know, whether it be for the entrepreneur, whether it be for everybody. Yeah, you know, no, I hear you. I've heard uh, people say, and I don't, I don't necessarily, um, you know, believe in this, but it's an interesting quote. I've heard people say that MBA programs, master's in business programs, teach people not to be entrepreneurs because they teach them everything that could possibly go wrong. Like they teach them to be where you would only make the investment if everything's completely buttoned up. Whereas the entrepreneur, you're like, well, we've only buttoned up 20% of this stuff, but really I'm just going to do it anyway because I have no idea what's going to happen. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Right. So. There's the idea that, that everything you do. Like I said, if it's worth doing, it's, you know, a chance is taken and there's an unknown. Yeah. And there's nothing about our genetic makeup and our brain functions that actually that want us to go into the known somehow. I strangely enough, everything about the way we work, we're we, we are more excited, we're more compelled, we're happier when we're looking into the unknown. And at the same time, we're horrified, you know? But it's funny how that's, those all kind of go together. Well, let me say this. This is actually a perfect um, uh, colliding of, of coincidences here. This is Sarah and her sister, Dippity. Um, today is the 25th anniversary of WWW, which, as we know it, is the internet. You know what I mean? I mean, the internet actually existed way before that, military versions. and connecting of servers but as far as the um the <laughs> so yeah for the record majority most of the time on old town new world podcast i drink my beer and whether there's some beer left in it or not i accidentally start pouring water in it and that's after one beer it's not like i'm drunk i just have this inability to distinguish it's, glasses yeah, right it's just yeah inability to dis discriminate between uh, liquids he's got a liquid discrimination problem but um so today is the 25th anniversary of the WWW, the World Wide Web, which is what we know as the Internet. <clears throat> now, what invented, what what came about, I mean, what made the WWW come about is the hyperlink. Because when Tim's Berners-Lee, or whatever you say his name, invented this thing, what he did was he put up a single page on the Internet in a subdomain, thank you, a subdomain of the Internet called uh, WWW, and he put up a page that had hyperlinks on it that linked over to another page. You know, when Google first started, they um, were searching the servers of colleges, and they were getting stopped and threatened to be sued by colleges because they didn't want, like, their bot, they didn't want the Google bot, like, it was violating their privacy. Now, you know, people pay huge money to try to get the Google bot to categorize their stuff. Well, 
What's like Short Circuit? That movie Short Circuit? It's just like Johnny from Short Circuit. The Google Bot. We need, we want, everyone's we, chasing the Google Bot. Yes, we basically need, yes. Um, so anyway, the reason why I bring this up is because the nature of the hyperlink is that when you click on it, it's, it's the box, it's the mystery box. When you see something highlighted, it could be a graphic or whatever, but just think about the link in, in the internet. The, old, the whole internet is based on the hyperlink. The fact that you can click on something and it takes you to some other content, you don't know what's going to happen exactly. Right. And that's what drives you to click it. And that goes back to your whole thing about social media and all that stuff. So if you think about what made the internet take off, you know, it was just DARPA and the military and all that connecting servers. People don't, that has no meaning to anybody. Right. But all of a sudden, when I can look at something on the computer, and I can click on something, and I don't know what's going to happen. Right. All of a sudden, I'm fascinated by it, and that's what drove the entire boom of the internet. Right. Yeah. There's, you know, there's specifically, uh, if you've heard of the film series uh, Paranormal Activity, those are movies that are based 100% on our basic caveman-like instincts of, of our visual instincts. Like th those movies operate on a principle of if they make you stare at an image long enough you will be horrified because you're constantly trying to figure out what are they going to do, what's going to scare me, what's going to jump out at me, what's going to move. And it's the same reason that your cat like looks at you know movement and jerks his head around. It's a basic human instinct to 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 want to know what's what's going to happen in front of me. And, and can I can I use the visual information I have in front of me now to speculate on what will happen? Well, you know that gets real um, you know kind of beyond Freudian and stuff to think about fear. I would say, uh, you know, a lot of people say fear is the, the, the core of everything. I would say that creation and fear, right. and, and fear being like kind of a, uh, almost a anxiety around what could happen as I continue to create. So right. I think creation drives everything. Some people say fear drives everything, and that leads to everything, you know, but, but it's, if you sit still long enough, you're going to come up with all kinds of things that you could do, things, things that could go wrong. And then, and some people have the personality of them, they're gonna come up with the many things that are gonna go wrong. I have the personality, I'm gonna come up with many things that could go right, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. But, you know, that's the glass half full thing, so. Right, well, you know, it's sort of what it comes down to is, is some people might say that fear drives everything, but the thing is, is like, creativity is sort of that antidote to fear, which the antidote to fear is, there's, and I'll, I, uh, now I can say the thing about Lost. I didn't watch the J.J. Abrams series Lost when it originally came on. I didn't know J.J. Abrams did Lost. Yeah, that was his whole big thing, yeah. And and the whole, like, in that series, I'm just now catching up. I'm just now, like, binge-watching it on Netflix. And that's what inspired me. another story that binge-watching has Binge-watching. We should do another podcast thing. about binge-watching. We should. We yes. should podcast about podcasting about binge-watching. Yeah, we should binge-eat while we binge-watch. Talk about binge-watching. We should binge-podcast. Binge binge binge-podcast. That's a great idea. Exactly. Where was I? Um, no, I was kidding. Um, uh, so anyways, yeah, that's what inspired my podcast. I was watching Lost, and he continually uses these mystery boxes on that show. Um, most episodes are centered around either a literal mystery box or a figurative mystery box. And one of the great big things in the first season is the character John Locke. He finds this hatch. Whoa, whoa, whoa. his name's John Locke. You know who that is in history? Yeah, yeah, philosopher. Yeah, yeah many of the characters on. Have you not watched Lost? I've never seen it. Jason, you should definitely watch Lost. Um, many Why of the you use my name to get real serious there for a Yeah, second. you know, th well, that was my only that way to quickly, very, quickly yeah. make your instructions. You should watch Dude, it. You went right to here, right, right to my heart. Exactly. If I said my name, Jason Drake Broadwater. Broadwater. <laughs> you watch that show? Um, but yeah, or a lot of you will be on restriction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple characters are actually named after philosophers on that show. Really? Uh -huh. Is there a Thomas Hobbes? 
don't know. I don't think so. Oh. There's, um, there's several philosophers and, and, uh, and uh, physicists that show up as tribute names on the show. But um, John Locke, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but he finds a hatch, and I'm not going to spoil what's in the hatch, but... Um, and he, he doesn't know what's in there, and the whole it, it drives his character for the rest of the show. And there's another point in the show where the, uh, a different character, Hurley, everybody loves Harry, Hurley, he's the big, hairy, fat guy. Um, and he's like, you know, we don't even know what's in that hatch. And Locke says, I know what's in the hatch. And he's like, what? And he's like, you think he's going to reveal, oh, he's got some hidden information on what's in the hatch. And his answer is hope. And that's sort of what it comes down to is there's fear in the unknown, but there's all, and you can't remove the hope from the unknown. It's, it's obvious that there's fear in the unknown when you do something new in life. If you, you know, whatever, you just got out of college and you move to some new town or whatever, there's all this unknown that creates incredible anxiety. And I speak as someone who is very, very familiar with the concept of anxiety in the unknown. But you cannot deny the fact that the unknown holds a great deal, as much hope as fear. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I actually, to get, if we're going to get, you know, crazy philosophical here, I would say that um, hope and fear are the yin and the yang. But I would say behind that is a singular force, and that force is creation. And whether you're religious or not religious, it doesn't matter. I mean, whether you think that's driven by some type of, you know, a personified God figure or whether it's driven by just, like, movement. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's creation. And then it splits into a yin and yang, which you have anxiety and fear. I mean, when you have a consciousness, I mean, excuse me, uh, fear and a hope, it being the yin and the yang. Right? And, I, and I think that's the balance of all stories, you know. Right, yeah. Well, the idea of, like, if we can look at things, this is, I never expected this, well, yes I did, what am I talking about? I totally expected this podcast to go here. If you can look at the idea of fear versus hope and creativity's role in that, is it, it's sort of that bridge, it's sort of that, it's your, how, whatever, your sort of, your Rosetta Stone to hope, your, your, your best thing you can do, like creativity is the only sort of weapon you have in this war against fear, I guess. Have you seen the Crudes? I have, yeah. Well, you know how it's, that's a, I think that's a beautiful story. I know it's a cartoon and all, but because... Oh, cartoons uh, aren't serious. Yeah, right. Come on. That, the Nicolas Cage character, of course, represents that we should be afraid of everything because survive, it's like uh, Valvano, Survive in Advance. You know who Jim Valvano is? No. Basketball coach, NC State. They won Valvo, the guy who invented Valvoline? Valvoline, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, he was a, a motor, motor oil kind of guy. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no. but anyway, Survive in Advance, you know what I mean? And so it's just about avoid everything it's all driven by fear and of course his daughter is all driven by hope that like there's something greater there's something bigger you know whatever but either way there's a force behind both of them that is an incredible driving creative force you know I, I think that's I don't know I think that's a good example exactly and it is it is the reason you go to gmail.com and click on your inbox. It's okay, the, wow, way to bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> nice segue there. Yes, that's nice, what I'm here for. Uh, two-wheel rolling machine that you should wear a helmet as you lean forward. Um, <laughs> if you, um, so, as far as our obsession with the internet, our obsession of clicking on things, which social media is kind of like our obsession of we want to click and share and then get gratification when other people click on the thing we shared. You know, my son already is, um, he loves Instagram. Now, he's, t- he's only 10, so we monitor very heavily. Like, he's not allowed to um, accept a, a follower on Instagram without Dixie approving, my wife approving. Um, and she just occasionally, you know, on the couch in front of Drake, she doesn't make it secret like I'm looking in Drake's business, very openly just says, hey, Drake, let's check out Instagram together. And she looks through his Instagram. That's, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, very, and she laughs at the things he thinks funny, and he points out what's funny. So it's not like, oh, I'm checking up on you, you know. Yeah. But... But he already is fascinated with that idea that he, he posted something. He told me the other day, he said, I'm trying to get funnier. 
And I was like, oh, cool. How's it going? You know, he said, well, you know, I got I got a couple of likes from this funny thing I put on Instagram. And so that to him was the me- it was a quantitative measure about how funny he's getting. You know, so it was, it was he wants to he wants to click to find, but then he wants to put forward a mystery box too that people would discover and then like, and then he gets gratification for how he created a, a moment of hope or a moment of engagement, you know, for these folks. Right. That's and. And that's why Instagram is a really good example that it's a lot easier to see these parallels with the the JJ Abrams mystery box with with Instagram because it's there is on both sides there's that mystery box of you as a content creator use Instagram because you want to make something and then your big mystery box is how people feel about that thing you made and what and what the, and the thing is of course what does that what that says about you and what your sort of value that you can provide and on the other end of that as a as a consumer. Because that's the that's the crazy thing about social media, where everyone who uses social media is both a a consumer and a creator, a content creator. That changed the world. Right. right. I mean, used to there was like five corporations in the on the planet that could create content that more than like you know 20 people would ever see. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but like however many people you can get together in a room and that you could convince them to give you a minute to stand up and talk, maybe it was in your church or whatever. That's the most amount of people you could get to see your stuff, unless one of the publishing houses or one of the major corporations that control the news allowed you to get to the top by sanctioning that. That was the reality we lived in before the internet. The internet absolutely allowed the ability for a single person to potentially put forward a piece of content that millions of people would see. Now the good thing about that is you unleash incredible amount of freedom of exchange of ideas and you level the playing field and all this right, all these right. wonderful metaphors wonderful stuff and wonderful realities now the negative part about that is the freaking you know 12 year old girl is going to put a youtube right. video up in her bedroom and all of a sudden 100,000 people are going to see it and you can't you know what i mean like that's right. there's incredible negatives about that power but that is power yeah that is power the internet is power yes yeah it's that it's, it comes up back to that access that availability and access you yeah. know and and it's as far as social media goes, and yeah, it can be, it's, we're, for the first time in history, we're forced to face all these questions about access. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it's just like, 50 years ago, if you, if you were like, if you had a baby, and you were like, oh gosh, I want to go take as many pictures of my baby as I possibly can, I want to go print them in the newspaper, I want, I want pictures of my baby doing everything, I want people to know where he is, and get it in tomorrow's paper about where my, what my kid's doing, where he's at, what my infant is, you know. you would be the queen of England. Right, yeah, well there you go, yeah, so, so basically we're all the queen of England now, but, but today, that's so normal, it's, you know, it's, the idea, that idea of like giving people access to your life, now you're considered sort of weird and offensive if you're like if you don't share yeah if you don't share and if you're like if you're at a party or someone somebody's taking pictures if you're like hey you know what don't don't oh, put yeah, that yeah, on I facebook put that on the internet right you're, you're like a Whoa. complete freak and you're being offensive and rude right. by doing that whereas you know like i said 30 years ago if you just walked into some like kid's birthday party it's like a turn taking pictures actually that one might still be true but <laughs> yeah that's weird <laughs> that might still be kind of weird um you know I, I don't use uh, Facebook anymore personally. Um, now I, I log into it because I post things on Revenflow's Facebook, um, and we use it as a company. And it's a great, wonderful tool. Go back, going back to this thing about authenticity and telling stories. I mean, it's a wonderful tool, that kind of stuff. And um, and I see why people like it and all, but I don't personally use it. And the reason why is because uh, this is this is my personal opinion. 
on Facebook, I, I've become friends with all my Facebook friends just because I know who they are. I'm not interested in their content. And there are avid content publishers among that group that I don't select who is an avid content publisher. It's just a, it's like the power law distribution. I mean, 20% of them post 80% of the content. Right. Now, I just, I accepted their friendship just because I happened to recognize their name or know who they are. And now there's hundreds and hundreds of them. And without me choosing which 20%, 20% of those people are producing 80% of the content. And I'm, and, and I'm sure they're wonderful people and all, but, and I know they are, but I'm not interested in, in the content. So, yeah. so I've, I've chosen to do Twitter, and I know uh, there is a, a lot of, especially younger folks use Twitter in, in the kind of the same way, where you friend all your, you, know, you follow all your friends and stuff. But my use of Twitter is that I follow people based on the fact that I choose to listen to their content. Right. And so therefore, um, all of the content, not all of it, most of the content that's coming through on Twitter to me, it, I, I am choosing to engage with it because I chose them because of their content. Right. And Facebook, I'm not choosing people because of their content at all. Right. And that's something that, and you know, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening to this podcast, I Which apologize in advance, but that's one of those red flags that shows you the difference between Facebook as a as in more antiquated version of that principle of the consumer is the creator um, in that way that everyone, you know, everyone's, their content that they're creating is uh, more often than not truly like useless unless you're just addicted to seeing these piddly little uh, menial things. But Twitter, there's, because of the speed of Twitter, um, there's a call to, to actually make something interesting and worth looking at and more so than Facebook. And it's a more clearly visible that principle is more clearly visible on Twitter, where you have the, the consumers are the new creators, and, the, and and whereas like you know in the 80s or whatever, it's like you well, you were in showbiz, and I guess once you made it, once you had your whatever Screen Actors Guild card, someone came to your house and was like, you're no longer a consumer, now you're a creator. You're on the other end of the line, and that line is long gone now. Like yeah, it's it completely is. blown apart. The, every, the, Did you see that Onion article that said um, content? Web content creators now outnumber yeah, content consumers exactly, by like yeah. four to one. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's hilarious, and it's and, it's, and the, they were making the joke about all the just the, the concept of like if we're all we're all participating in this industry, who's watching it? You know, right. which is an exaggeration. But if you if you factor in social media and consider that the it, it really is crazy now that as opposed to back in the day where you know if you were watching television, that television was all completely made for you by someone out in Hollywood, whereas like now. Television is one piece of a lot of things that you use to consume pop culture, and the majority of that pop culture that I think the average American consumes now is created by their friends and themselves. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, we could go on and on about about this, and actually, this is a whole nother podcast. I mean, I, I've got plenty to say about this topic. So, you know, let, let me kind of uh, cut us off here if I can, and to say that, you know. We started by, by talking about this idea that when you put forward this kind of mystery, this, um, you know, the mystery box, so to speak, it's what drives people to move forward. We see this in internet behavior. We see it as we celebrate today, 25 years of the World Wide Web, which is all based on kind of the hyperlink concept where if I click that, what's going to happen? You know, the creative process, whether it's a micro process of creating some little thing or a big process like, you know, revitalizing this city that we're involved in every day. You know, it's always about where are the gaps, where are the mystery boxes. That's what drives us forward. You know, so I, I think that um, 
we, we need to embrace, continue to embrace the idea of um, discovering these boxes, you know, and, um, and then, you know, doing our best to kind of crack them open and um, not building it up so much that we're disappointed with what's inside. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I hope you enjoyed our, our ramblings here about the old mystery box, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, JJ. Abrams. <laughs> Good times. <laughs>